At the start of December, in a genuinely world-beating moment, the United Kingdom became the first country to approve a coronavirus vaccine for general use. The first coronavirus vaccine has been approved for use in the UK by the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. That's the, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency has this week recommended to the UK government on the basis of the advice of the Commission on Human Medicines that it should agree to the approval for use of the COVID-19 vaccine developed by Pfizer-BioNTech. Last week, the NHS embarked on the biggest vaccination programme in its history. 90-year-old Margaret Keenan became the first person in the UK to receive the Pfizer jab today. It meant the UK became the first country in the world to begin using a clinically approved COVID-19 vaccine. The world's press gathered to watch. How do you feel that you are now one of the first people in the country to have received the first dose of this vaccine? <laughs> one of the first people in the world. How do you feel about it? I don't think I feel about it at all, except that I hope I am not going to have the bloody bug now. But, as with all immunisation programmes, the strategy will only work if enough people agree to have the vaccine. And that, it seems... Is going to be a challenge. We've had problems with pharmaceuticals before. Probably one of the most famous is thalidomide. We've also had problems with the swine flu, H1N1 vaccine. No one has got a crystal ball uh, to say if there's going to be any long-term ill effects. We just don't know. I will swerve it, and so will a lot of my family, because we just don't see the point, obviously, the survival rate of it um, is quite high. I've tried two different flu jokes. Both times, it had catastrophic effects on my health. This new vaccine, however, um, may well have the same result, which could be I could be very, very ill. So the problems the government has, they've been so limited with the honesty of their data and when it comes to lockdowns and everything else. I think what they've got to work on is their own credibility. We've been given exclusive access to polling that shows just how much reluctance there is amongst the British public to receive a COVID vaccine. And we hear from a global expert on what the government should be doing about it. I really think it's been a desert, an information desert. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, who's afraid of the vaccine? I'm Philip Lee, a practising GP in Berkshire and a former politician. I'm Tom Boyk and I created a campaign consultancy and I founded getyourjabs.com to promote the positive messages of getting vaccines. Philip and Tom are unlikely friends and an even more unlikely campaign team. Tom Boyk helped to run the Vote Leave campaign, whilst Dr Philip Lee was a Conservative MP who defected to the Lib Dems over the government's stance on Brexit. Despite their differences, they've come together to set up a campaign getyourjabs.com to fight the online conspiracy theories and to plug the gaps in public information that are fueling a fear of the vaccine. They've commissioned a YouGov poll to understand the scale of the problem. 
while it found that about two-thirds of the population would have no qualms about being vaccinated, it also showed that there's a sizable portion of the country who would. There's about 25% who are what we would describe as vaccine hesitant. And then there's a core of people who just are anti-vaccine, the sort of anti-vax group that you encounter online. We need to eat into that 25% to get to the sort of figures for this to be a successful vaccine program in its entirety. My view would be that it's much better to be proactive in addressing some of the concerns that people have within that group now, instead of waiting for it to grow up and to become an issue. And I think when it comes to something like this, which involves a collective response of everybody to have these vaccines, I think it's really important to be on the front foot. There are 12% who say they wouldn't take the vaccine at all. That's much higher than I thought it would be. The MMR scandal of the early part of this century really undermined all of the good work that had been done in terms of educating the public of the value of vaccines. And I saw it firsthand, the payback of that, which was the occasional measles case. And some of those measles cases were lethal and then children died unnecessarily because of poor uptake in certain parts of the country. And so there is an overhang of sort of vaccine hesitancy and also in the extreme anti-vaccine sentiment, which the MMR scandal, I think, played a great part in creating in this country. And there is also this sort of post-truth age that we're living through where people question more information that they read or, or they see online or whatever. And that obviously has its impact. Now... Let's take a closer look at some of the details from the poll. Firstly, as I mentioned, it showed that 12% of the population were a flat no on the vaccine. Nearly a quarter of young people, that's 18 to 24-year-olds, said they were unlikely to be vaccinated, while 85% of over 65s said they would be. It seems Scotland will have the highest uptake, with 85% saying they'd take it, And Brexit reared its head again, with Leave voters being twice as likely as Remain voters to be against the vaccine. The total figure for people who were likely to be vaccinated was just 72%. So would that be enough for life to return to normal? If we were getting to that level of flu vaccines, we'd be very happy. So the point is, is that we, it does depend, I go back to the numbers, it depends on the effectiveness, the efficacy of the vaccine, and each vaccine is going to be slightly different, judging by the figures that are out there. And then on the basis of whether it's going to become an annual jab or whether it's going to become two jabs every year or one jab every year, there are so many variables here that it's difficult for me to sort of say, oh, we need to just get to a certain figure and everything's fine. That's why actually the messaging is as many people as possible should take this. Ideally, everybody. And I think that's where we want to get to. The poll also asked how much information people had received from government about the vaccines, to which 85% responded either not very much or nothing at all. It also found that while 61% trusted the NHS the most on the vaccine, only 18% trusted the government as much. As Tom explains. 
we want to trust uh, those people that are working on the vaccine. We want to trust those people that have already taken the vaccine, and we want to trust the NHS. We don't really trust the government. We don't trust our local MP, and we don't really trust our local religious leader. There is a huge concern uh, among the industry about what we are pushing out and the messages we're putting out, because we haven't found those people that are working on the vaccine and to explain to people direct to camera exactly what this is going to do. And the NHS has an amazing reputation within the United Kingdom. And I think that's really important to leverage about the wide variety of faces and people uh, that are going to be taking this vaccine. And whichever of the vaccines they take, it's really important that people see people like themselves taking the vaccine. And it's interesting that there's a disparity between the figures in terms of trust of the vaccine in England versus Scotland. How do you account for that? The perception quality of governance, fair to say, I think the leader in Scotland has had a, a better year in terms of her presence in the media and being quite clear about what's going on. And there has been, shall we say, some times where it's not been as clear coming from the government here in, in Westminster, so that that may explain some of the trust issues. I mean, I experienced this personally. I, I, I would be a doctor in the morning and a politician in the afternoon, and I didn't change. And it was probably the hardest thing I had to deal with in, in work terms was coming to terms with the fact that I wasn't trusted in one role and I was trusted in another. And I think that's quite deep-seated, certainly in England. As a GP, what are you hearing from patients? How do they feel about the idea of a vaccine? Mixed. I mean, I, I, I work in quite a challenging community, very mixed, ethnically mixed, social classes. It's more of a challenging socially community than the average. I think most people, the majority of people recognise the need to have an effective vaccine programme. I think most people can see the terrible impact this has had on public health, on individual loss of life, of course, but also more broadly on the economy and life in general, people seeing their family, their loved ones, etc. So I think people recognise the need for a vaccination programme. I think people understand that. But what I think is is more challenging is getting people to accept that They've got to each individually play their part, and particularly for Britain, because we're the first in. And being first is great in so many ways, but when it comes to persuading people of to do something, it perhaps makes it slightly more challenging, which is even more reason, you see, for the government to have an effective campaign of, of persuasion based upon good science. And were you surprised by the different sectors of society and how they were responding? 18 to 24-year-olds seem to be much more vaccine-hesitant than I thought they would be. You know, a quarter of them are unlikely to take it. Are you seeing big disparities in different sections of society? My guess would be, and I think the data from the polling backs this up, is that people of that age group are more exposed to social media. And so therefore they're picking up all of this information more readily. But this also talks to where people go for truth. And where do people go for their news now? You know, if it was just the BBC, I think this challenge would be not so hard. But the reality is, is that all of these organisations, the BBC included, trust in them has eroded in recent years, I've observed as a politician. And so therefore, younger people who are getting their information primarily from their social media accounts are being exposed to stuff 
that is very questionable in terms of the, the science behind it. But are they aware of, of how questionable it is? And that's why you need to get your jabs.com type campaign. You need to be out there on the front foot, providing accurate information and challenging some of this nonsense. We wanted to understand what was happening in this group. Was it online disinformation? What makes so many people between the ages of 18 to 24 so anti the vaccine? Here are three people we heard from who all fall within that category. I wouldn't take the vaccine for a few reasons. First one being that I don't feel like I am somebody at risk. I'm quite young and I've never shown any symptoms. It feels like the vaccine was quite rushed and that doesn't make me feel comfortable. And whilst the ingredients have been listed online, I don't really understand what they are and would like more information before I was to take a vaccine, put something in my body that could potentially do me harm. I would say my fears about the vaccine are partially because I don't like the thought of not having a choice in something. And I feel like with this, it's not going to be a choice because if we want to travel, whether that's for work or pleasure, majority of us are going to have to have had the vaccine. For me as well, being a dancer, I travel a lot with work. I know that I'm just going to have to have one. And that kind of bothers me a bit because it kind of makes it seem like it's not free choice and I should be entitled to choose what I want to take and not take. But then again, I'm also not one of the (laughs) anti-vaxxers. I think there's just been a lot of fear-mongering around COVID in general. And there's a lack of trust there for me with the government. I'm more leaning towards the anti-vax end of the stick because I have seen that vaccinations in general are quite limiting to health and there's a lot out there about vaccinations that have gone wrong like natural immunity is really really important and we can't just keep taking pharmaceuticals or injections because that's taking away from our body's natural ability to heal itself and maybe the vaccine works but what else is going to happen like there's talk of genetic modification which might not be true might be a conspiracy theory but I mean, we don't really know. There's just not enough information out there. How do you sort of target the broader audience, especially when so many of them have seen so much anti-vax stuff online already? Every time someone said they had seen something anti-vax or vaccine hesitant, we saw dramatic increases of those people that then later on reported that they were unlikely to take the vaccine, particularly among the younger age groups. It's about making sure we put out the messages in plain, simple English, leveraging what we've talked about, and making sure that the online communities are are rebutted centrally. It's all very well to expect the GB to work tirelessly going door to door and encouraging people to get the vaccine. But that's not enough. And what we're showing in the polling here is that we're going to need a central government response as much as we have a fully functioning rollout of the vaccine. 
you have to challenge inaccuracy. You have to challenge this sort of conspiracy stuff and head on because it gets traction otherwise. Where is the government's response to this? It's one thing to say, look, it's just not true. Ignore it. No, I think you have to be much more comprehensive in your response. Otherwise, these things just chip away at people's trust. It may not be one story or one alleg- false allegation. It may be just a series of them popping up on someone's um, newsfeed. And over time, when it comes to them being offered the vaccines, which in the case of young people is going to be later in the year, in 2021, there's going to be that sort of resistance in the system. The technological firepower that can be deployed to counter these messages is enormous. It's not okay to ban concern. I think that would be a very difficult activity. We need to allow people that safe communication about it, and people should be able to speak to their doctors, NHS staff, and to engage actively about these uh, different things we've heard about. And a particularly interesting stat from our polling, 85% of people think they haven't received any information on the vaccines. 85%. So, you know, there's a huge opportunity here to disseminate facts, evidence, of, of, of the effectiveness of these vaccines, the safety of these vaccines. You can just disseminate that and just do it consistently and continuously all the time through various media outlets. Just keep saying, look, this is the reality. This is why we are doing this. Th- this is the data. This is what was found in terms of side effect profile. Put it all out there because the great majority of people can absorb it if it's put in an accessible way online and have a central resource to point to. That's how I would do it. And do you think the government is doing enough on that score? Are they getting enough of the information no. out there? No. Quite clearly, 85% of people haven't had any information. So no, they haven't. I mean, there is talk, though, of people like Matt Hancock and possibly others having their jabs live on TV in front of a crowd so that people can see. Uh, this was absolutely fascinating. And we particularly polled on this concept. And it's useless. It really doesn't matter that your local MP has taken it. That's not what people are looking for. People are looking for the communication from their GPs and their NHS and from the people that have been instigating the creation of the vaccine. But does it help to see the, the health minister, somebody sort of you know powerful in government, being given the vaccine? It's a, it's a photograph. Ultimately, what you're trying to do is you're trying to persuade an individual to have a needle stuck in their arm for the greater collective good and for their good. And you're injecting something which has been created this year in the space of 10 months. That individual needs to believe, one, that it's safe and two, that it's effective. I don't really think that having a picture of Matt Hancock taking it is enough really in today's world. I think Tom's right. I think you've got to make a a stronger case and you've got to use people who we know are more trusted than frontline politicians. It is about trust this. And for whatever reason, politicians are not trusted anywhere near as much as the people who actually are in healthcare. And on that score, I mean, you've made it clear you don't think the government is doing enough. Have you approached them about their strategy? Yes, I think we both have. I can't remember when we started, Tom, but certainly I've dropped lines to old colleagues. But as as yet, we haven't had a positive response, but we're both continuing to try. For the last six months, we know they have been thinking about this and we look forward to them actually engaging to be forward-looking and to not be waiting on the problems to arise, but to engage early. 
We'll have more on the vaccine in just a moment. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The anti-vax movement has been gaining momentum for years, not least after Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who was later discredited, claimed the MMR jab caused autism in babies. So how do you counter the misinformation that fuels a fear of vaccines? We turned to a global expert. I'm Heidi Larson. I'm a professor of anthropology, risk and decision science at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, where I also founded and lead a research group called the Vaccine Confidence Project. Tell me about that. How did that come about? Well, the decade before, starting in 2000, I was working with UNICEF, leading their strategy and communication for new vaccines. During that time, particularly those five years, 2000 to 2005, I ended up being more of a crisis communication person than a uh, proactive communication because we saw more and more uh, incidents where individuals, communities, sometimes government officials starting to question and some outright resist some of the new vaccines we were introducing. And that also started to happen with some of the older tried and true ones like polio and, and measles. So I at some point decided that there was not enough time in my day job to really go to a deep understanding what, what this phenomena was about. And I left uh, UNICEF and came back to academia and founded uh, just with a couple of us, and it's now grown out to quite a global team, to really be doing listening, trying to understand the concerns and drivers behind these issues so we could better address them. In the UK, a lot of the anti-vax stuff seems to stem back to the case of the MMR vaccine and Andrew Wakefield, and that seemed to sort of feed an idea into the system, which people then sort of couldn't quite shake. Have there been similar incidents elsewhere? Yes, that autism anxiety has certainly traveled the world and back. I mean, we've been mapping how far that went. And to this day, the UK is the epicenter of the what has now become a global phenomenon. But in the meanwhile, there are other issues. I mean, some of them 
Some of them are, are genuine anxieties about safety, but some of them are distrust. The trust is a big factor in these issues. And one of the Achilles heels of immunization is that it is uh, mediated by, by government. It's uh, regulated by government. It's recommended by government, sometimes required by government. And if you're a marginalized group with any or whatever, someone in the population that has issues with the government, some of that we see playing out on the vaccine. The other issue is we are highly dependent on big business. Um, we rely on private entities that are not nonprofit and we're dependent on them. So some people who distrust big business that's their angst. And on top of it, I don't think that there's any other health intervention that is so globally counted down to pretty much every individual taking a vaccine. And some people have the anxiety of they're counting us. So the, all these things, but all of that is only in situations where people have distrust. If they have trust, they accept that that's all part of a, a system that's trying to make them healthy. But if they don't trust, then they start questioning. There's a fear of big business. There also seems to be lots of slightly outlandish conspiracy theories about Bill Gates in particular, who's funded a lot of the vaccine research. Were you surprised by that? Well, I have to say Bill Gates was one of the various people under attack by the anti-vaccine groups and, and some of the distrusting public who didn't like the level of his his investment in global health, people questioned the motive of it already before. But the level of it and the focus of it is is unprecedented. I mean, we've never seen it. It it really kind of went to exponential heights in ways with COVID, which uh, and the anxiety about you know ch chips in people's arms and being counted and, and controlled. And I mean, this is part of a bigger anxiety about big business, about, you know, geopolitics and being controlled and elites. And it's part of a whole perception issue. But what's interesting is we recently did, I get a lot of questions. Well, there's a lot of misinformation out there. You know, does it really affect people's choices? Well, we did a control trial a couple months ago because I was getting that question a lot and I wanted to actually measure it. We did 8,000 people, 4,000 representative sample in the U.S., 4,000 in the U.K. We asked all of them various things about COVID and their COVID experience, but in that, would you take a COVID vaccine? And then for 1,000 in each country, we showed them straightforward factual information. And for 3,000 in each country, we showed them five of the most frequently circulating pieces of misinformation. And then we again asked about willingness to take a COVID vaccine. Well, in the UK, 54% of the people said that they would definitely take a COVID vaccine. That's not high, um, by the way, but that was those were people who were more certain, 54%. But after seeing those pieces of misinformation, their willingness to take a COVID vaccine dropped to 47%. That's a six, it was about a 6.4% point drop. That's a serious impact on intent. But there's also a lot more open awareness and discussion and acknowledgement about the level 
you know, misinformation. So people are a bit more critical of it because they're more exposed to it, I guess, in a way. Um, but that's a significant impact. And what made me thinking about this study was your mention of Bill Gates. One of the five images was one of these Bollywood-style images of Bill Gates with big sunglasses and a syringe looking like a rifle in his hand. And and on one end, very emotive and controlling the world. On the other end was a genome, it looked like a genomics textbook. It was an image of a RNA spiral and a DNA referring to the new Pfizer and Moderna, the the mRNA vaccine has triggered anxieties about, you know, genetic modification, DNA changing. And the image itself looked very scientific, but the caption was, and now they're trying to turn us into genetically modified humans. Well, we looked at the difference. Actually, that had much more impact on people's drop in willingness to take a vaccine than the Bill Gates image. Bill Gates would be... Yeah, and so we say they're anti-science, but they're not. They just want better science, and actually science gives them a sense of credentials or credibility. Uh, So we have to really pay close attention to this. And what's the best way for a government to counter some of this vaccine hesitancy? Most of the focus seems to be on countering the misinformation. I see the misinformation as much more of a symptom rather than the cause I often say we've, we have more of a relationship problem than a misinformation problem. And I think that governments, rather than thinking about stamping out misinformation, should look in the mirror and think, how can we make ourselves more trustworthy? To be listening in communities, to be sitting with communities, to be bringing communities along with the, the evolving story in the case of COVID, around COVID, and you know, asking what are their concerns, what are their issues, with the sentiment that we care about what you think, rather than we want to shut down any complaints you have. Do you think there's been enough engagement on that score? Is there enough just general information about a COVID vaccine out there at the moment? I really think it's been a desert, an information desert. (laughs) It's been pieces of information and certainly... And part of the challenge is that this has been evolving and we don't have a lot of the final information. I don't think there's been any time in vaccine history where publics have been so exposed, and this can be a good thing, to what's involved in the development of a vaccine and how long they take and what are the processes. Uh, They have a huge opportunity from a a vaccine point of view, to get people more familiar with all these steps. And I think we haven't done well enough in terms of trying to make it more understandable to the public. COVID, in many respects, as well as the vaccine, has seems to have become part of the culture war. You know, whether you believe in COVID, whether you believe in masks, whether you believe in social distancing... And now your opinion on the vaccine seems to sort of relate to, you know, your opinion on things like Brexit or Donald Trump. Yes, I just published a book in the last couple of months here called Stuck, How Vaccine Rumors Start and Why They Don't Go Away. And it talks a lot. I actually, I think I use this term of it's a cultural resistance in a sense. And it's it's really less about the specific vaccine and it's more about values or perceived, you know, 
people have a different, particularly libertarian values, but there's also other issues. There's a very strong and growing pro-nature movement among young mothers. It's part of a lifestyle. I mean, home births, gluten-free, vegan, uh, no more contraceptives, use of the rhythm method. And, and in that bundle of things is a vaccine-free childhood for their children. And it makes it more challenging because you're, you're challenging somebody's way of life. And it's not just, and I think with immunization and vaccines, there is quite a tendency to stick to the specifics of the vaccine and the interaction with the public. But that's where we're losing out. That's where I think we're getting more and more of a gap in the communication. The coronavirus vaccine in particular, it's been done in record time. We've never seen a, a vaccine appear quite so quickly. Are people right in some ways to be quite anxious about that? I'm not sure about right or wrong, but it's certainly understandable because uh, it's human nature. You know, newness is the familiar things are always more comfortable than the, the brand new ones. And in the case of the COVID vaccine, this is different. This is a brand new virus. We're just trying to understand its behavior, which is really atypical. And we have new vaccines. And these vaccines are being in, made in ways that have never been used for vaccines before. So that's another layer of newness. So I think it's perfectly reasonable for people to have their questions, which is all the more reason we need to make that extra effort to try to answer people's question. It is brand new. I understand people's questions, but it also we could use that for good because it explains why we could do it faster. We're doing it faster because there are new technologies. We have not compromised the safety part of the development process. And that I can't stress enough. That has been really crucial. It's crucial in every trial. It's the first thing you look for. It's the last thing you look for. Then we also had different funding mechanisms to do this quickly than we've had before. So what's given us the opportunity to make it faster is also some of the things that people are questioning. And with the COVID vaccine, Britain has been very proud that it, it's managed to get it registered before any other country. But does that actually add to the anxiety of people who are taking it? Yeah, I mean, I think p politically and maybe scientifically getting there first is a good thing. But for the public, it just instills anxiety. And and I think there's been, frankly, too much focus on getting there first and not bringing the public along with you. I do think we need to... Um, you know, not be so focused on just getting there first and then being empty-handed. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Dr. Philip Lee, a GP and former Conservative MP, Thomas Borick from getyourjabs.com, and Heidi Larson, Professor of Anthropology at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. The producer was Chris Hemmings. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Nicola Rolfast. If you can, please do leave us a review. We read them all. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, you can email us at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. 
Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.